and welcome to From the Hawk's Nest. I'm your host, Matt Bergman, and today my guest is Karen Kimner. Karen is the head coach of the Quincy University men's volleyball team. She's a Quincy native and one of the most recognizable athletes in the world of volleyball. She played volleyball and softball for two years at the University of Arizona before she joined the U.S. national volleyball team in 1985. She competed in three consecutive Olympic Games and helped the United States capture the bronze medal in 1992 in Barcelona, Karen competed for the U.S. for 15 years. Considered one of the best female volleyball players during her career, Karen is a six-time recipient of the U.S. Olympic Committee Female Athlete of the Year, a five-time recipient of the Team USA Volleyball Most Valuable Player Award, and she was named the FIVA Best Female Volleyball Player of the World and Volleyball World Cup Most Valuable Player. And... She's starting her second season as QU's men's volleyball coach. Karen, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. I'm a pleasure to be here. Well, let's uh, start um, from where we are. You've been all around the world competing in, competing in volleyball. What brought you back to Quincy and to QU? What brought me back to Quincy was predominantly the the health of my parents, Um I would say about 20 years ago, my mother was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, And at that time, I'd been living in San Diego where I would say that was home for most of my career. That's where the national team trained. Even though I played overseas professionally, San Diego was kind of my base. Um, And it just got to the point where I felt in my career, I had done everything that I wanted to. I had seen the world. And if I had one opportunity, I wanted to go home and spend time with my family. Um, I know it was very hard for my parents to let me go to first off go to the University of Arizona because it was so far away, but then to take that step and go even further and start traveling with the national team, it just seemed, you know, like, what have I got to lose? I want to sell the house. I want to go home and be there for my parents. And so it honestly, in my hearts of hearts, it's probably the most important thing I've ever done in my career was come home and give them that peace of mind that living in the home, they still had their privacy. I was able to be a part of their lives, whether it was helping out with for medical reasons or whatever whatever blossomed. I just wanted to make sure my parents could stay at home as long as they could for whatever they could. And unfortunately, my father passed first. He got mesothelioma and went pretty quick. He's been dead 11 years, and mom has now been dead five. So that's what brought me home. It's what kept me here. Um, and I will tell you right now that being officially home in the Quincy University family is probably the thing that's going to keep me here the longest. Yeah. So you've d- you've done some other coaching around the area too, at the collegiate level and I think at the high school level. Mm-hmm. Um, what about QU that was exciting to you to come here? I just think it, it ticked all the boxes. Like literally Quincy University, you know, when I knew it, it was Quincy College, it was my playground. I mean, Quincy University owns the home that I grew up in. I walked across the street and played against the wall when my brothers would no longer play with me, I played <laughs> tennis and baseball against the wall 24-7. You know, that was my Wimbledon. That was my world championships. Like, I played, learned how to, on the A field is where Jack McKenzie and the soccer team used to practice. And my, my siblings and I, we were the ball kids for Jack. Anything that went over the ball, we got to go get. Um, <laughs> I remember kind of, don't want to say this out loud, but as a kid who went to St. Francis, if it snowed or rained, we always kind of cut through Francis Hall to go to St. Francis <laughs> to kind of get out of the bad weather. So this St. Francis in Quincy University has been a part of my family. I, gosh, I 
go back 100 years yeah. easily. So for me, it was, again, just kind of a special way to round out my career. I don't want to say end my career because who knows where it's going to go, but I say round it out because yeah. it really did start within these couple blocks. And now I get to come home and be a part of a, a terrific men's program, you know, Division One men's program in my hometown. That's that's pretty special. Well, and, and you hit on, you just hit on this, but uniqueness in volleyball for men at QU is that we're Division One, and that's the only sport that we offer that's at the Division One level. What's the competition like? It's crazy. It's uh, men's volleyball in the MEVA, the Midwest International Volleyball Association, is the longest-running, most well-known conference in the country for men's volleyball. So your powerhouses are Ohio State, Loyola, Ball State, where their coach, who I've known for the last 15 years, doggone at him, he transfers into Loyola, I mean, uh, Ball State, same time I come to Quincy, and he makes it to the Final Four. Um, <laughs> so we had a little different path there. But it is, it's just an amazing conference to be in because it is so revered around the United States. The next best conference that you start looking at is your conference that has Long Beach, UCLA, USC, Hawaii, BYU. You, you start looking to the West Coast as the next strongest conference. So for me, the opportunity to coach men at the highest level collegially, it's not only an honor, it's a challenge, it's a gift, it's a passion, it's... It's where every athlete should want to be, to land in. Um, and every coach should want to have this opportunity. Like, it was a rough year. I'm not going to lie. Any transitional year is rough. It's rough on the kids. It's rough on the coaches. But I feel like, you know, with all the odds against us last year that happened with injuries and everything else, we fared pretty well. We were one swing away from making making jumps, making moves within the conference. Um we just didn't have the depth. I didn't feel like we competed every day in practice like we need to to be at that level. Um, so went out and did my job and brought in a bunch of kids that I think are going to move us to the next level in the next two years. You know, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. I don't care who you hire. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. It takes time. Um, but again, I'm blessed to be coaching in Division One. What, what are your goals for your team and for the individual athletes? I think that varies a lot. At first, I've always said the most important role as a coach is to raise good humans. Um, I want my men to be respectful, polite. Um, I've also told my kids, even through the recruiting process, I want to I help kids change the world we live in. I think it's a challenge in getting them the opportunity with volleyball in hand and getting their academics and putting them in an environment that they can grow up to be anybody they want to and reinforce that and give them that support, I think those are the type of kids that are going to go out there and take that next step and not only reflect well on Quincy University and myself, but, again, change the dynamics of the world that we live in. That's what I want. I, would, I don't want just lawyers. I want Supreme Court judges. You know, I don't want just doctors. I want people to cure cancer. Um, so long-term, those are my goal for my kids. Short-term, bust their tail, give me everything they can, and enjoy the opportunity to play a sport. Somewhere in the back of my head, I always hear my dad say, you have to remember it's a game. It is. It's just a game. But it's a game for me that, you know, took me to literally every corner and the opportunity to stand on a podium and be one of the best in the world. Like, even on my worst days, I remind myself, like, gosh, I was really good at this game at one time. Not anymore, but at one time. <laughs> Um, so I just ask my kids to give me everything they can. 
you know, you do that, I will give you everything I can. And somewhere in there, we will find the balance of enjoyment and competing and moving on to the next level. Well, we mentioned earlier that you coached volleyball for 11 years uh, at our uh, friends across the river Mm -hmm. in Canton. And you had some success there, both athletically and academically um, with those athletes. Tell us about that. You know, I really did enjoy my time at Culver Stockton. Wonderful people there. Beautiful campus. Um, We definitely had some success on the women's side. It was with the women's program for six years, and then I switched over to the men's side. Um, We were just talking about, my assistant coach and I were just talking about this morning, we were one swing away from going to the national tournament in my third year with the women's team. They just, at that point, weren't taking the top two teams in conference, which was kind of a bummer because we were right there. Um, And then I made the switch after my mother passed away. One year I coached both teams, which was Maybe not the best idea, but I think at that time it was Culver Stockton's way of let's make sure she stays here. Let's let's not let her escape because I didn't know, to be honest, if I was going to remain in the area after my, my folks passed. Um, and then I switched to the men's side and I just got reinvigorated by it. It was when you're seeing athletes that are six seven, six eight float around a court that is thirty by thirty and with the power and the speed of which that game moves it it kind of started triggering things in my memory bank of being at a higher level and being able to teach things at a higher level um and having the athleticism to start with it's fun to look at a kid who's that talented and say you know if you take this one angle or you open your mind to this perspective you're going to make yourself that much better um so it was a good move you know the transition to the men's side has definitely kept me in coaching um I don't want to say longer because I don't know when it's going to end, but it has definitely kind of put a little pep in my step again. And, you know, again, now transferring over here to Quincy University where I was a volunteer coach when I first moved home. I remember walking down the hallway and Jack McKenzie was still with us and I stuck my head in. I go, do you remember me? And he looks at me and goes, I should. And I'm like, well, not for that reason. But I was like, I was one <laughs> of your ball kids. And he's like, oh, my gosh. Like, that's how relevant Quincy University is to myself and my family. Well, let's take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more with Karen about how her experiences and successes as a volleyball player set her up for life. Stay with us. You're listening to From the Hawks Nest. QU Hawk fans never have to miss a game. Visit QUHawks.com and click on the media tab to find the GLVC Sports Network. It's available on both your desktop and mobile tablet devices, as well as four over-the-top platforms, including Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Android TV, and Apple TV. All live and on-demand archived video is available free of charge. For game schedules and the latest news, visit QUHawks.com and follow Quincy University Hawks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And welcome back to From the Hawks Nest. I'm your host, Matt Bergman, and today we are chatting with Karen Kimner. She is the head coach of the Quincy University men's volleyball team and uh, a former Olympian. And joining us today, we're going to switch gears now and talk about Karen's memories from being an Olympic athlete. I'm sure some of those experiences are still very vivid for you. I hope so. I'm always worried that I'm going to forget some of the the good ones and remember the bad ones, that transition. Like being a part of the Olympics was just, the first Olympics was overwhelming. I think I was 20, maybe 21 when the first Olympics came through and that was in Seoul. 
and the entire experience was just, you can't take it in quick enough. Um, we, we were the youngest team at that Olympics um, out of the 12 teams in the women's pool. And I think we finished, I want to say seventh or eighth. We didn't finish dead last, which I thought was a success. <laughs> um, but going into like the second um, Olympics in Barcelona in 92, it was, it's almost like I say to our kids now, like when you come in with a freshman, you have to mature physically, mentally, emotionally. The same thing happens. You just have a four-year window to grow in. Um, so going into 92, we were already ranked the number one team in the world and uh, just had a whole different feeling. Like, you know what you're walking into. Like open every open ceremonies is the most amazing experience. Um, and it, it still gives you goosebumps because it's like going to a rock concert with the whole world. As you're walking through the tunnel and you're coming toward, um, not the turf, but the track, as your, your presentation, I always tell kids, you can hear the sound and it physically almost like moves through you as it gets louder and louder and louder. Um, and then when you get on that track, it's like it finally officially starts. Up until then, it's still kind of a daze because there's processes to go through and obviously practices and stuff like that. And you're, you're very sheltered. As an Olympian, you don't really... You don't get to go outside the compound very much for your own safety and security. I mean, that was always kind of an interesting process, too, like all the security briefings you had to go through. Like, we went through a large one in 88 because it was in Korea, and supposedly, and again, my memory's a little shaky on this one, it was some faction that was against the Americans. And so we had to set through a lot of debriefings and what to do if you were held hostage. And I remember just going, oh, hmm. Lord, breathe. Wow. You know, I'm going to play volleyball. Why would I be held hostage? Like... And then in 92, when you had the bombing, I was actually in the bus when the bomb went off. My mom and dad had just left. My siblings had just gotten on the train to go to their lodging. And I had gotten on the bus, and the bus just shook. And by the time I got back to the compound, um, we weren't allowed to take anything in with us, obviously, only our ID and our key and walk through. And and back in the day, you also had the pagers. Yeah. <laughs> So the pagers are going off, and everybody's trying to read and figure out what's going on. And just before that bombing, matter of fact, there was a plane shot down on the Upper East Coast. It was, I think it was a TWA flight. Oh, my. And that I remember that day, too, because we were all sitting in the cafeteria, and everybody's pager went off at the same time. And all you saw was everybody looking up and reading it like, oh, no, is it happening? Like, is this the start of something? Um, but again, that night, the bombing at the AT&T Center, um, which is actually the host spot for American families. Like every Olympics, there's an AT&T center where we all have to get our tags and your family can get tags and they can come in and have a quiet place to sit and relax with you. Um, but later that evening after I laid down, our assistant coach came running in and he woke me up and he's like, who was with you when you were there? And so I told him like the last few people I saw. And that's when it all kind of started really relegating, like what's happening, Who, where, where's T, where's Tara, where's Elena? Like my teammates that, were 10, 15 feet away from me by the time I had gotten to the bus. Um, so there's moments like that that also kind of break way, you know, and kind of get in there. But obviously the best moment I have is, you know, winning the bronze medal. It should have been a gold. I did not play, I don't think, up to my par the night before against Cuba, but we had always had hellaciously good matches with Cuba, and that match went five. I think it went three hours and 20 minutes. Um, and we lost in the fifth set and had to come back within less than 24 hours to play for the bronze medal. Um, emotionally drained, of course. Physically kind of 
I don't know, I, I guess physically I didn't notice it as much as just the emotional aspect because you have one goal. Your entire focus is one, one match. Um, but winning the bronze was extraordinarily special for a unique group of ladies that stayed together. And again, having the chance to do it in Atlanta and that one just the wheels fell off that pretty quick. Um, but I'm still glad that I was able to, what I'd say, retire in front of my family because it was really special to have my mom and dad and my siblings there. Like they just cried the first time after a match. They're like, now we get it. I'm like, yep, it's pretty moving. Wow. And do you still stay in contact with those teammates? Yes. Matter of fact, quite a bit. Um, I know this last Olympics where the women won the gold, um, the day before all of us, my phone was blowing, blowing up and I knew it was going to, because you could feel it coming kind of that sense of finally, the women's program is going to get a gold medal. Yeah. Um, but several of us had talked because they were putting together videos that they were going to show on NBC, you know, and I was going to hold up a paddle and put myself in the game, but it would take me a while to get there for the match. <laughs> um, but we do. We, I wouldn't say we pick up the phone and talk to each other constantly, but there's always a text or kind of sharing with each other where our lives are at. Um, I think someday there'll be a reunion. I hope so but I don't know. Yeah. Well, we've come a long way since the pager. Yep. We have come a <laughs> long way since the pager. I think I had one of the original cell phones back in the day too. <laughs> well, when you, you decided to step away from the indoor volleyball circuit in 1997, and you took your skill set to do professional beach volleyball. Tell us about that. I wish I would have done it sooner. I mean, it was so forgiving to the body. It's so amazing to train in the sand I just feel like I went, kind of went reverse cycle. Like most good volleyball players kind of start on the beach and then they move to the indoor. Well, in the Midwest, I mean, other than Hogback Island, I think <laughs> that was the only sand pit around here for us to play in. And it volleyball really came to me late. I was predominantly a softball player. Honestly, I loved softball. I thought that was going to be my path. Um, unfortunately, softball wasn't in the Olympics. Volleyball was. And again, whoever pulled my card out of the lottery. I'm grateful for it because it was a good choice to play it. But um, yeah, playing sand the last couple years, I loved it physically because again, I didn't, I didn't feel like I had the pounding constantly and emotionally. It felt like a different game playing twos. Um, but then there also came a point when I think I hit like my 36th birthday, 37th birthday. I'm like, Oh, you know what? You got to stop because I wanted to still feel young at an older age and knowing that I was going to have injuries that were going to kind of creep up over time. Um, but it was just time to let go. I mean, it was okay. I just always wanted to go out on my own and not be forced out. I think that was my big thing. Is there any form of competition that you maybe wished you would have engaged in? Like sport wise? Yeah. I think curling. I think I would have been good at <laughs> curling. I love watching that in the Winter Olympics. It's one of my favorites. I don't know if I would be like the bowler person or the broomer. Um, I think just about any sport I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with. And I'd, I'd like to believe that I was a good enough athlete that I could have picked up other sports. Um, but I think more than anything, being, being blessed with the athletic side of it and the size and the strength and the speed, I think it's the mindset that I'm so grateful for. Like whoever chose to, whether it was my parents or the powers above, gave me a great mind to be able to not only compete, but to be able to survive when you don't and survive the pressures and the anxieties that come with being a professional athlete. Um, so I think just about any sport I would have picked up. I mean, I still had a skateboard in my 
my Jeep out in California when I was 45. Like, as long as it keeps me young, I will keep doing it. Well, what about advice? What would you say to current student athletes, um, even some alums of the institution, um, about, you know, competition or just anything in general? I think advice is always a tough one because it so depends on the route that got you there. Um, I'm just somebody who just firmly believes that you have to do whatever you're passionate about, whatever that may be. Let that be your guide. Don't, don't jump off the track to do something because, oh, this sounds good. But if you're really not passionate about it, you're wasting what valuable time you have in this world. Um, like I said, kind of playing beach. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't my path. It was time to step away. And do I know what my path is? Heck no. I really don't. Like I'm still in the process of getting my degree. I just started taking classes here at QU. My goal was to get it done before my parents passed. I didn't pull that off. But I think, you know, when it comes to sports and advice, just embrace it. Embrace everything you can, the good and the bad, but live with the good. Don't let the bad kind of weigh you down. I think that's, I think too many times in our society today, it's like it's win or loss. You're either great or you're horrible. That's not true. That's, that's not how the planet works. Well, Karen, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us today on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely enjoyed it. And be sure to tune in next time for another episode of From the Hawk's Nest, where we talk to faculty, staff, students, and Franciscan friars, as well as QU alums to learn about their journey here at this great university. I'm Matt Bergman, and remember, it's always a great day to be a hawk.